Uh, we got the honor uh, this morning of doing something unique and uh, very, very eternally significant uh, as some of my friends join me up here on this platform. Let me, uh, let me explain a couple things about what we do and, and why we do it. I'm a part of a group that, that we started called Excel Leadership Network. And Excel Leadership Network um, exists to change the church planting world. That's our purpose. Since 2006, even just since 2016, we've already uh, started over 250 churches uh, around the world, which is amazing. The reason why uh, Excel Leadership Network exists to change the church planning world comes from the scripture in Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13 tells the story of the church in Antioch. And the Bible says in, in verse 1, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius, of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, was actually in the church, amazing, and Saul. What I know is that the church is comprised of a lot of different people, a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different styles, a lot of different ideas uh, coming into the church, but they're united at one thing, which is what God's doing and about to do in the world. A good church represents its community. So whatever the community is, that's what the church should look like. Our church looks very different than other churches because there's not many churches in the ranchos. We look just like the ranchos, and that's good. Uh, but there's a lot of other churches, a lot of other places that is going to be comprised of the people in their community. And, and the church of Antioch was no different. But I know in verse 2 from this passage, while those people were worshiping in, uh, uh, the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Here's what I know, that God calls and separates people for different types of work. He's given different types of gifts and, and ministry that are be the service of his kingdom through the church. What I know is that God calls people and equips people. And the Bible says that God's calling and gifting are irrevocable. He doesn't take them back. No matter how much we screw stuff up, he doesn't take back his call and his gifting. And the Bible says that he gives that call and gifting without remorse. He didn't feel sorry over it. As bad as we try to mess stuff up, he doesn't feel sorry for his call nor his gifting. They're irrevocable. And because of that, he says, I've gifted and called some people for a certain type of work. And so the story goes in verse 3, so after the church had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. The interesting thing in this church is when God identified a couple key leaders to go plant a church, the church didn't hold a business meeting. They didn't get a committee together to talk about it. They didn't hold a finance committee meeting and say, well, can we give them any money? They didn't do any of that. They didn't say, well, but he's our best guy. How do we let our best guy go? But he's our youth leader. How do we let, we can't let him go. Who's going to do our youth stuff? He's our worshiper. How do we let our, they didn't do any of that. They said, God, this is what you're doing. Okay. They put, her hand, put their hands on him, sent him out. Here's, here, here's, churches plant, please understand, churches plant churches. That, that's God's way of doing it, and that's what the Bible says. Church, God doesn't plant churches by someone getting upset at their leadership or their pastor and going and starting some other Bible study. That's not the biblical way of planting a church. Churches don't, don't, aren't planted by God because a church splits, because they're getting an argument over the carpet or, or the fact they don't have a fountain or a coffee shop. Churches plant churches. Do you, do you know the difference between a donkey and a mule? Yes. Let, let me tell you the difference. The, a, a donkey is a creation of God, and donkeys reproduce donkeys. A mule is a creation of man. It's a mix between a horse and a donkey. The vast difference, is them, the difference in them is that donkeys can reproduce, mules cannot. They lack the ability to reproduce. Why? Because it's a man-made thing. Whatever God makes has the ability and responsibility to reproduce. Whatever man makes has the responsibility of self-sustainability. And so here's, here's what this has to do with church. There's a lot of churches that are great mules. They get a lot of work done. They carry a big load. But they don't reproduce. Why? Because it's a man-made thing. But a donkey, a church that's a donkey. Yeah. Believe me, I've been called a jackass a lot. Of, that's good. 
is a God-made thing because it reproduces. That's what church planning is. So a God-made church is going to reproduce. Do you understand? That's why we'll be a part of church plants all over this globe. The best way to reach people under heaven is by planting churches. It's the best way to do it. And church, understand, flip side, hear this. We are plan A. And there is no plan B. Do you understand? And so part of Excel Leadership Network, I'm sorry, you guys are like, why did I come up here so freaking early, man? It's all good. We're building something. Aren't they good looking? Like, like I, I, when, when, as I get to know you and meet you, I'm like, man, I hope. It's good for a donkey to be around thoroughbreds every once in a while. It makes us, <laughs> makes us feel better about ourselves. My goodness. Leadership, uh, Excel leadership, this is what we look for in church plants. And, and some of you guys and your spouse have been through our discovery centers, right? Who's been? Brandon, you guys have. Who else has? Uh, yeah, uh, Brandon and uh, Drotos and yeah, Jacksons, yeah. So th- th- when we take people through our discovery centers, this is what we look. We look for 10 building blocks. Five of them are specific for ministry. Five of them are specific for church planting. Here's what we look for. Is there, is there God there? Do they have a strong spiritual vitality? Is, is the family present? Do they have a healthy marriage and family support system? Are their emotions intact? Do they have a stable and developing emotional health and, and relational intelligence? Do they know what it's like to be across from the table from them? Is there a call? Is there a definite call to ministry? Is there perseverance? Is there an obvious resilience and tenacity? You've got to be able to keep going or not quit. But, but the, these next five are specific to church planting. Is there leadership, exceptional leadership and reproduction ability? Is there an evangelism aspect to them? Do they have a zealous evangelistic bent for leading people across the line of faith? Is, is, do they have a presentation? Are there dynamic public ministry skills present? There has to be this entrepreneurship to them. This, this experienced entrepreneurial capacity to start something from nothing because that's church planting. Is there a vision, a clear and compelling vision and plan to demonstrate both faith and, and uh, demonstrates both faith and practicality? So these are those business and these, these couples that have gone through our discovery center through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And our assessment, like, man, they checked all the boxes. And so we told them, you guys are ready. you got some great leadership here, great leadership team. Those 10 building blocks are present. No matter how much you may have tried to get rid of them, God's calling, gifting on it, irrevocable and without repentance. They're there. And so, patient, and come here. Come here, Elodie. Come here, Andrea. Where's, where, where's Olivia? Does my wife have her still? Yes. Yeah, of course she does. <laughs> Patient and Elodie, the lead church plant couple, with Andrea, and now Olivia, the lead church plant couple, surrounded by incredible leaders, men and women of God, that are called to this. And they're going to start, they're going to start the garage church with their grand opening on Easter Sunday. That's the address if any of you want to go, join them. But listen... If you go join them, you got to give them some money in your tie. You understand? Like, don't just go and sit and absorb. Like, you got to go and contribute. You understand that? Do you hear me on that? Flip side. So if you're going to go, I'm surprised I didn't get an amen or any claps out of you people. Yeah. You, you don't know what it's like to plant a church if you're not clapping for someone to say, give you money. Um, thank you, church, for your generosity. Uh, because you paid... For all these to go through Discovery Center, not a dime, they didn't pay a dime. It's because we believe in, in church planting. Um, and so I'm going to give you a charge, all of you, understand me, hear me on this now. I'm going to give you the charge in the name of Jesus to plant a church out of you within three years. You need to do it within three years or you won't do it. Now, it doesn't mean one of you got to go do it, but it means you got to be heavily invested in another church planting. Time, energy, the little bit of money you got, you have, you got to give some away. But do it within three years, otherwise you won't do it. Do you understand? This is the only reason you are now plan A. And there's no more plan B. Okay? And so, here's what I want. Uh, patient, you've been on staff with us for a while now, um, as has Drotos. And you, some of you have been a minister with us a long time. Um, you got anything you want to say, patient? I still got a message to preach. Like, I haven't even started preaching yet. <laughs> yes, uh, 
I want to thank the church first. Thank you very much for allowing me and my family to be not only part of this church, but to be a pastor of your children. By being a parent myself, I know that I will send my kids nowhere to nobody that I don't trust. And then seeing you, you sending your kids to me every Wednesday, every Monday, shows me how much you appreciate us and that we bless God for you. And we came to this church, we were just the three of us, but we are not living, but we are now four. That even showed that God is continue to bless us. And then Pastor Carl, thank you. Thank you for the time. Thank you for the patience. Thank you for the investment that you did, not only in my life, but in TG also, TG family, that each of us at this place, we were blessed by you. I was talking with the the leaders and I told them, I say, there is one thing that I'm sure about. I'm not sure about how the things is going to happen, who's going to come with, we're going to get the money. I'm not sure about nothing of none of that. I'm just sure about one thing. We're not going to fail mm. for two reasons. Why? Because we have God. Mm -hmm. Second, because we learn from the best. Mm -hmm. And that we bless you, Pastor. God bless you. Okay. Love you, man. Very proud of you. I would like someone, I would like you guys to meet someone. We, we call her the boss, and then she will say why. Hi, everyone. My name is Taylor. Um, I help lead and serve with the Garage Church. And Pastor Carl, I just mm. want to say thank you. You have been so gracious. All of you have been so gracious just in equipping this team. I hear the stories of them going to the Discovery Center, mm -hmm. all the things that they've learned, and seeing them put it into practice has mm -hmm. been great. And so, and you all have taught them so much about leadership and just exposing them to different things. So we just want to say thank you. That's so kind. I appreciate that. Thank you. Is that a picture of us preaching at your church with patient? That's awesome. Thank you. That's cool. Uh, yeah, I just want to first thank you guys. I'm Jeff Copeland. Thank you guys for accepting me my wife my wife's not here she's not feeling well but um thank you i want to echo what patience said thank you for trusting us with your kids uh no offense to you guys i'm gonna miss them the most um I've, i mean i love y'all man I love you guys in the back um my wife and i about a year ago in april we went through a very tough time we lost uh, a pregnancy and many of you guys were there for us and so i'm never gonna forget that Pastor Carl, thank you for teaching us and helping us grow. But more than that, you've been an amazing friend and brother. I appreciate so I appreciate you. Love you. Love you, Jeff. Hey, Amen. I have 30 seconds. Um, so, uh, family, thank you. Um, as I've been echoing every week, I, I really do guys consider Flipside as my family. And even though these reoccurring Sundays may come to an end, um, I definitely don't think family ever has an ending point, so to say. Pastor Carl, thank you for the investment, the support. The being able to call things out of me, mm -hmm. give me the opportunity to lead in certain mm -hmm. capacities and extending that trust. Mm -hmm. um, there's great things happening at Riverstone, by the mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. I encourage you mm -hmm. to invite people <laughs> heavily to that because you're not going to be surprised when it begins mm -hmm. to really, really grow mm -hmm. to a different thing. And you'll be like, whoa, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. um, but for me and Sienna, um, who's way over here in the corner, <laughs> thank you. We love you. Love you, Flipside. Love you, John. Thank you very much. <laughs> good. Well, good. Yeah. What's that? I might cry. That's okay. <laughs> like I, you've been here long enough. I never cry. No, you're good. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. Here's my offer. The rest of you team, if any of you guys want to go through Discovery Center, it's on us. It's always on us. Uh, gladly, we will gladly send you through the Discovery Center. I'll be there. These guys who have been there will go as with me as assessors as well. So that's, a, that's an open invitation to the rest of the team if they want to go through the Discovery Center. Um, but with that, I got one question. Who's next? Who's next? Come over here, patient. We're going to pray. I, 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 don't, I don't know what you're most comfortable with. If you're comfortable, I'm going to invite you to stand up just in agreement and affirmation of this prayer. Uh, and if you're comfortable, if you're kind of of this tribe, which I, I, I am, if you want to put your hands out just in agreement as I put my hands on them and pray over them, I'd encourage you to do that as we pray over this whole team, the whole team. Father, I thank you. You are a good God. You only do good things. I, I, I thank you for patient and elity. I thank you for their response to your invitation to follow you with their lives. I thank you for their response to each other. To be married and stay married, I thank you for what you're doing in their 
family with their two beautiful girls. I thank you, Father, for their call and their, and, and, and their response to that call. I thank you for this team that you've put around them. You've been, a, you, you've been doing something since before they realized you were doing something. I thank you for your faithfulness to that something. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for the, the opportunity they have to follow you in planting this church. I thank you for the opportunity they have to rely on you through the questions, through the doubts, through the concerns, through the difficulties. I thank you for the opportunity they have to show what faith looks like in real terms. I thank you for the opportunity they have to storm the gates of hell with the knowledge, Father, that they will not be overcome. Holy Spirit, we commend them. Patient and Elodie and their girls, we commend them and their team. We commend these men and these women to your work that you have called them already to do. We put our hands on them. We commission them. We pray over them in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would fall upon them, that you would come upon them, that you would be in them, that you would set up for them the revelation of the work to which you've called them, and that they would follow through with that and in that with great joy and vigor and enthusiasm. Father, I pray against the evil one and those demons that would only seek to steal, kill, and destroy. I pray against the schemes, abilities, and blockades that he would put in the path of your kingdom. Father, we tear them down by the name of Jesus. And Father, I thank you for the assurance of your presence. Go before them, meet their hand, the work of their hands with success. Open the windows of heaven and flood out on them so much blessing they don't have room to contain all as they obey you and are generous. Father, I pray that you release resources into their care, into their responsibility that come from places they've never seen and don't know. I pray that you would call out of them a great generosity and a great faith. And Father, I pray that you would change their part of Fresno and through them the church planting world for your kingdom's sake. Endow them with the knowledge and the understanding that they are plan A and there is no plan B. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would go before them, making them a way where there seems to be no way. And that they would get to rejoice in heaven one day as they look through the heavenly history book of the thousands and multitudes of people who are there because of their obedience. We commend them to you. Thank you for our time together. In your name I pray, amen. Now listen. We have agreed to continue supporting Elodie and, and Patient for the next few months uh, to be able to allow them the chance to go do that. But you may want to support the church's ministries. And if that's what you want to do, please see Patient in a, or see Taylor. You're the one who knows it all. <laughs> about how you can help support them financially with the resources of their church. Do you understand that? God wants to relieve some of you of some of your money uh, because you got too much of a hold on it. And this would be a great way to do that. You, you understand? All right. Hey, give these guys a, a thank you offering to God. Love you guys very much, man. Love you. God, God you sweet girl. Thank you, guys. Love you, my friend. Proud of you, buddy. Love you, Brandon. Love you, buddy. Proud of you. Proud of you guys. Okay, so here's the thing. I got a message to preach in 13 minutes. But that right there was message enough. And that ties into what we're talking about. This whole idea of coincidence. Let, let, let me give you a Cliff Notes version of my message. That was a Cliff Notes version of the book of Esther. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, go to the book of Esther. Here's what I know. Esther was written, it was about the time in the life of Israel after the Babylonian captivity. Babylon came down and invaded uh, Israel. Ten northern tribes are already taken away into captivity in Assyria. Two southern tribes, uh, Benjamin and Judah, were left. Babylon came down and took over them. In the course of time in history, Persia came down and took over Babylon. So now God's people out of the tribes of Benjamin and Judah were living in Persia. Under the rule, if any of you are, are history students, under the rule of Xerxes. Any of you see the movie 300? Shame on you. It's a terrible movie. Just kidding. It's a great movie. Uh, King Xerxes is that guy that invaded Greece. That's portrayed in the movie 300. 
but the interesting thing, the book of Esther is the perfect book in the Bible to talk about coincidence. Now, if you understand what coincidence is, biblically, coincidence are events that are put together by a sovereign hand. And so the Bible does talk about coincidence, but they're events together put together by a sovereign hand. Here's the thing about the book of, of, of Esther. Nowhere in the entire book is God ever mentioned. Nowhere in the entire book is prayer ever mentioned. Some originally thought Esther should not be included in the Bible because if you don't have you got a, a book that doesn't mention God or, 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 or the Holy Spirit or Christ or, or prayer, why should it be in the Bible? Right? But in Esther, none of those things are mentioned. But as Matthew Henry, the great commentator, once said, the name of God isn't there, but his finger sure is. You see his hand at work all over the Though silent and unannounced, God's providence and orchestration is at work behind the scenes. See, we sit on this side of the equation, and we ask ourselves, why did that person do me wrong? But God sits on that side of the equation and says, so this person can do you right. We sit on this side of it, and we ask the question, why did that person leave me? And God sits on that side of the question and says, so this person could come to you. We sit on this side of the equation, and we ask, why did that dream die? And God sits on that side and says, so this destiny can be birthed. Relax. I'm orchestrating things. We want to know why this. We want to know why that. I don't know. But what I do know is this. Though God might be silent and unannounced, God's providence and orchestration are at work behind what you see in your life. Let that sink in. This is the way it always uh, often goes with God. He doesn't always get top billing. He doesn't always go to the press and publicity. He doesn't always make the headlines, but he's always at work in the lives of his people. Always. As you read the book of Esther, you come in face to face with the idea of coincidence. That God's invisible yet invisible hand is at work. And this is what it is to plant a church. You go into church planting and there's nothing. There's not even people. You can't even get in a fight with anybody because there's nobody to get in a fight with. There's nothing so you, you have to know, you guys have got to know that though his hand might be invisible, it is absolutely invincible and nothing can stand against it. As you read the book of Esther, you start to understand that. And the lesson that you, we see in Esther is this, that orchestra, God orchestrates you for the moment that you're in. You, you might be in a moment that feels too big. You might be in a moment that feels too oppressive. You might be in a moment where you're under the circumstances instead of on top of them. You might be in a moment. But here's what I know about God, that if you are his child, he has orchestrated you for that moment that you're in. He will not only orchestrate resources and substances, he will orchestrate you for that moment. And so an overview and a cliff note version of nine chapters of, of Esther. You ready? Okay. Chapter 1, King Xerxes, the leader of Persia. Like I said, the guy in 300. That's who we're talking about, bigger than life. He was so mighty and so big and so wealthy that he decided he was going to throw this uh, two giant parties, actually, that will last 180 days. The whole nation, 180-day party. Six months of a party. Can you imagine? You're like, yeah, I had a freshman uh, semester. <laughs> no, it, it, he said, look, you don't have to drink wine, but if you want to drink wine, I'm going to give you as much wine as you want to drink for 180 days. And he tells his wife, Vashti, who was drop-dead gorgeous, to come in and parade herself in front of his nobles wearing her crown. Now, if you read the scripture, you understand what he's implied there, wearing only the crown. Guys, I only one chance to answer. Was that a good request or a bad request? That's a bad request. And so she says no, and he bans her from the kingdom, kicks her out. Here's what I know. Sometimes your integrity is the setup for God's move in someone else's life. Sometimes it's the setup for what God is doing in someone else's life. And so parents, please hear me at this. Be obedient and put the kingdom first, because it just might be the setup for your children even more than you. Even if it costs you, your kids will reap the rewards. Sometimes your integrity is a setup for what God's doing in someone else's life. Vashti was a woman of principle. She was a woman of integrity. And it cost her because God was setting something up. 
Xerxes was vile, very vile. But Romans 13 tells us he was put there in position by God. And God allowed a vile man to be in leadership. Boy, there's a lot of parallels there I won't talk about on any side of the aisle. And God allowed a drunken six-month party because he was setting something up. And in chapter 2, we see that there was a new queen. And she was a young, beautiful Jew named Esther. Her mother and father were dead. She, he was, she was being raised by her older cousin, and Esther did not reveal her Jewish identity to anybody, especially to, to those in royal authority. And in this search for a new queen, Xerxes was drawn to her through this long process of events. And it was so impressed was Xerxes by Esther that Xerxes made her the new queen. During this time, as it happened to be, her cousin Mordecai, who had raised her, overheard an assassination plot that two men were making against Xerxes. Mordecai tells Esther, who is now the queen, hey, Esther, just know that there's two guys that are making an assassination attempt against your husband. Esther gives Xerxes that information and credits Mordecai with that information. And so the assassination attempt is squashed. Mordecai just happened to be at the right place at the right time. Mordecai wasn't in the palace. He was outside of the palace, but God had positioned him outside of the palace to be in the right place at the right time because God was setting something up. Here's what I know. Mordecai wasn't rewarded for saving the king's life at that time. Have you ever been overlooked? Have you ever been do something that wasn't coming? Have you ever done right and got nothing as a reward? Mordecai, the reward was coming. Because God was orchestrating something behind the scenes. Here's what I know. That God's orchestrating your position even when you're outside the palace. God's orchestrating something, even when you're overlooked. God's orchestrating something when you have chosen to live your life in submission to him and to those. Over. God's orchestrating something, even when you're outside of the place you want to be. Here's what I know. You don't have to be an influencer to have influence. I, I'm, a, I'm an assistant coach of a rookie baseball team right now. A, 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 let, me, let me tell you what that means. I'm coaching first graders in baseball. And I'm not even the head coach. Now, if you know me, you might assume that I have a little problem with that. But it's good for me. So far, I've coached 20 football seasons out here in the Ranchos because I've done two teams some years at the same time. Ten of those, I've been an assistant coach. I started as an assistant under the authority of people. Same thing in baseball, same thing in basketball. It's good for me. Because you shouldn't lead until you've submitted. Do you understand? I don't care if you're a boss, a coach, or a pat. You don't lead until you've submitted. And so it's good for me to be out there, not in the palace, as an assistant coach to first grade baseball. <laughs> Doing whatever I'm asked, however I'm asked, because someone else is the guy. God's orchestrating your position even when you're outside the palace. Just relax. Submit. Because God will use all that he's given you for his good purpose. He'll use all that he's given you. Even if it's just a pretty face. What we know about Esther from the historian Josephus, Josephus tells us that her beauty was legendary. Anybody who talked about beauty mentioned Esther. You know, like everybody knew of her beauty. God will use anything he's given you. All the things, even if it's a pretty face. <laughs> I look at this team up here and I think, man, that's where all the pretty faces went. I mean, not about you, about, like, about me. I'm like, I... Wow. Like God will use it all for his good purposes. God's given you something. And whatever he's given you, he will enhance and use. It's called a purpose. And it's attached to your destiny for his kingdom. You got something. And God will use it. 
So what I learn in this little chapter two here is that both obedience and disobedience have ripples. They have ripples. Let me tell you how we come to this. In the book of Esther, chapter two, verse five. Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin whose name was Mordecai. This was Esther's older cousin. Son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish. That's important because it's in the Bible. God doesn't waste words. He was a relative of Kish. Who else was a relative of Kish? King Saul. The first king of Israel was, Kish was his father. Now, that's important because of this. Jump to chapter 3. This man named Haman. Haman hated the Jews. And Haman was elevated to the next in command under Xerxes. And Haman sought out the extermination of the entire Jewish population. He was of the same spirit as Satan, as Hitler, as the Antichrist, who sought to destroy the Jews. Esther 3.1 says this, After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, this guy that hated the Jews, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all the other nobles. He was an Agagite. Why is that important? Students of the Bible, why is that important? I'm going to tell you why. 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15 in the Old Testament tells the story of the Amalekites. While King Saul was the king, God told King Saul to destroy all of the Amalekites. He went into battle and destroyed most of the Amalekites. King Saul kept for him some of the animals and some of the goods and kept for himself the king of the Amalekites, whose name was Agag. Haman is an ancestor of Agag, who should have been destroyed. Disobedience has ripples. Saul was told to destroy Agag. Saul did not. So now the descendant of Saul in Mordecai faces perilous danger under the relative of Agag. The first spiritual battle that took place in the physical world in this sense was Agag and Saul, and Saul failed. 500 years later, this same spiritual battle in physical form comes up again because now you have Haman, the relative of Agag, seeking the destruction of Mordecai, the relative of Saul. Disobedience and obedience both have ripples. Things that just happened never just happened. Because we're on this side of the cross. Here's the good news. We pray for mercy. And we thank God for grace. Because if you got a good Bible, it'll tell you that now therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What that means is this. There might be some physical worldly com uh, uh, complications. But as far as God's concerned, he doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't say, because you did this, I'm going to do that. that. That's not how God works. There might be some normal, natural stuff you've got to deal with, but it's not because God is getting back. So here's what I'm saying. That coincidence circumstance that you're in might be God's way of giving you an opportunity to send ripples of blessing into your future. Let me say that again slower, because you've got to understand this. That coincidence or circumstance that you're in right now, you respond in obedience and submission, that might be God's way of giving you the opportunity through obedience and submission to send bless ripples of blessings into your future. Do you understand? I, I realize I'm already past time, but can I, I push this just a couple more chapters? Is that all right? I understand if you got to leave, I won't think you're a bad person. Other people here might, but I won't. In chapter 3, Haman, this evil confidant of Xerxes, hates the Jews so much because he gave a command that everybody should bow and honor him. And Mordecai, whose name actually means short one. So any of you short guys out there, like he's a stud in the Bible. So the short one will not bow. And so uh, Haman convinces King Xerxes to have all the Jews slaughtered one year later, all on one day. Please understand this. 
Chapter 3 reminds me that just because there's bad news on the schedule doesn't mean God isn't still orchestrating things. Please, you, 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 you might have some bad news. There might be a bad report. It doesn't mean that God is not still orchestrating things. Please understand that. In chapter 4, Mordecai pleads with Esther. He hears about this edict that had been making that was unchangeable on the king's behalf. And he pleads with Esther to intercede for the Jews. He said, Esther, you're a Jew. You have to intercede for us. And, 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 and Mordecai says one of the most profound statements in all of Bible. It says this. Mordecai said to Esther, do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews are going to say, he's going to kill you too. He has to. His edict cannot be amended. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Because God is always at work and his hand is always moving. You could be the one through whom it moves, but if you don't, it's still going to move. Because there ain't no coincidence that God isn't in control of. He says, but you and your father's family will perish. And here it comes. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position. Here's the words. For such a time as this. Those are the words. For such a time as this, I had a professor, my undergrad, he taught me this in my undergrad and it began, be, began to undergird my worldview. World For such a time as this. Why does this happen? I don't know, but there's this phrase called such a time as this. Why is that going down? I don't know, but for such a time as this. Why, why, why? I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, but for such a time as this. Who knows? Quit kicking against God. If you're a child of his, trust him. What's happening might be for such a time as this. God will use your obedience and what he's given you to reveal something greater for you. God uses your obedience and what he's given you to reveal something greater that's for you. All this that has happened, for chapters 1, 2, and 3, all this has happened. The reason why Xerxes gave two maddening parties, the reason why Vashti was asked to parade in nothing but her crown, the reason why she was a woman of integrity and said no, the reason why there was a search for a new queen, the reason why Mordecai happened to be at the right place at the right time, the reason why Mordecai happened to hear about the assassination, the reason why Mordecai happened to ruin that, all of this happened for such a time as this. Who knows what God is orchestrating behind the scenes? And if I can be frank with you, we bitch and moan about all the stuff that's going on that we don't understand and we don't like and we don't want to go down like this. And all the time God is saying, would you just get your hands off it and trust me, I'm orchestrating something behind the scenes. If you'll trust me and submit to me, it might be okay. Because if you got a good Bible, 1 Corinthians 2.9 is in it. And that reminds me that no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor mind the, the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. I'm orchestrating something. Let me speed this up. Chapter 5, Esther invites Xerxes and Haman to private party, and she figures if the first one goes well, I'll invite him back for a second. Haman still hates Mordecai, wants to kill him before the year comes up, so he has gallows built so he can hang Mordecai. Chapter 6 rolls around. The night after the first party, Xerxes just happened to not be able to sleep. Ever have one of those nights? He just can't sleep. He just happened to have insomnia. And so he, the royal king and the royal chamber had the royal history books brought in. Because what else puts you to sleep faster than history? <laughs> no, I'm asking. Anybody going to say math? <laughs> math does. Has the royal history books brought in. And he just happens, because he has insomnia, happened to read the history, the, the history was, and happened to turn the page where Mordecai overheard the plot of the assassination to him, and happened to read the passive, the part of the history where Mordecai was responsible for saving his life. God's at work. So the next day, 
Xerxes chooses to honor Mordecai. And says he, he, he puts Mordecai in the royal robes and, and tells him to ride the royal horse. And he tells Haman, the one who hated him, wanted to kill him, to parade Mordecai around in a big public parade honoring Mordecai. So at that second night of the party, Esther finally chooses to tell King Xerxes that she's Jew and that Haman wants to exterminate all of them, including her. Where Xerxes flies into a rage. He's irate. He's like, I need to go for a walk. So he goes for a walk. And while he's gone, Haman falls at Esther's feet and grabs her legs and pleads with her, please intercede for me that Xerxes won't kill me. And it just happened at the right time when Xerxes walked back in the room, happened to see Haman grabbing his wife's legs and he interprets it as he's trying to rape her and says, string him up on the gallows he made for Mordecai. God was at work. Names never mentioned. Prayers never mentioned. His hands all over this. Here's what I know. Let God handle those who are against you. Let God deal with it. Even if they're wrong. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't try to get even. Don't try to get ahead. Don't try to explain yourself. Because God is so powerful and God is so in control that he will even orchestrate those who have been against you to be for you. Amen. Don't respond. Don't post about it. Don't engage. That's the best way to avoid drama, right? Yes. Let them be in trust God. So chapter 8 rolls around. Orders are given because he can't change the orders he already gave. And Xerxes says, I can't change those orders, but I will authorize the Jews to defend themselves. Uh, and so they gather weapons for a year and put the word out, come on, try to invade. <laughs> we'll walk you back. Chapter 9, the Jews defend themselves. No, no, no one's harmed. Here's one thing I didn't mention in the first service. I feel like I need to. Xerxes was not involved in their struggle till their struggle became personal to him. Once Xerxes entered into a relationship with a Jew, did the Jew's difficulties become his? You understand what I'm saying? We enter into the difficulties and struggles of those with whom we have relationship. Do you want to know one reason why this country is so divided? Because we've choose to live in our camp and let them live in their camp with no relationship. The key to injustice and solving that, the key to inequality and solving the key to all that stuff is relationships with each other. Because once we have relationships with someone, their, their difficulty becomes personal. As long as I don't have relationship, it's not personal. I have no responsibility. But the moment it becomes personal, our son Joe, that we've had since he was two years old, his Hispanic mom who loved him but couldn't raise him, we got him when he was two. And we've raised him as he's 30 years old now. He gave us our first grandson, a beautiful daughter-in-law. Our second grandson's on the way. He's my son. When he was a little boy, because he was still under the authority of his mother, he was on Medi-Cal. I didn't understand racism. I didn't understand until I was sitting in a doctor's office with Joe waiting for him to be seen. And he's, he's like Oaxacan Mexican. Like he's, he's dark, dark. He's got this beautiful, deep, dark skin tone. When we went to Egypt, everybody thought he was, he was he, we took him with us, everybody thought he was Egyptian. He was like a really dark Hispanic. And, and so we're sitting in this office in the summertime and 
And, and we were there before everybody. And person after person after person after person after person was seen before Joe was. And it didn't mean much to me at the time. But then we finally got to go back into the waiting room. This doctor, who happened to be Caucasian, walks in, looks, and says, take your shirt off, I'll be back. Shuts the door and walks out. I thought, that didn't feel right. As a daddy, that didn't feel right. We waited a half hour. Joe's cold. I said, Joe, put your shirt back on. Put his shirt back on. Doctor came back in. Boy, I told you to take your shirt off. I'll be back. Boom, shut the door and walked out. I said, Joe, put your shirt on. Or keep it on. I walked out to the front desk. And I said, I got an issue. And so we had a conversation. And I used words that weren't in the Bible. <laughs> and I wrote a letter to the medical board. Not that that did any good. The only thing I could think of is my son's problem is not your problem because you don't have a relationship with people like him. Just thinking about our people in Guatemala and Mexico and Cuba about these little babies that are rescued in Fresno that we help. Think about all these different diverse groups of people. And you know why we're so invested in their lives? Because it's not about work, it's about relationship. There may be people around you that you need to proactively seek out relationship with. And God's kingdom comes. Do you understand? So, thanks for letting me press on a little bit. Here's what I want to leave us with. One, rest in God's orchestration. Quit freaking out about stuff. Quit trying to figure it out. Rest in His orchestration. Realize... Change your perspective and live with the perspective of for such a time as this. It may just be that the coincidences and circumstances in your life are being orchestrated right now for such a time and God is setting something up. Let him set it up. Do you know what kind of peace comes over life that's lived with the idea and perspective for such a time as this? Someone told me after the first service, a dear friend of mine, and he said, man, if, if I could help my kids understand, there's such freedom in submission. And I could submit to God and say, God, for such a time as this. And then when God says jump, jump. Take action according to his orchestration. If God says Set these apart, set them apart. If God says talk to the king, talk to the king. If God says get involved, get involved. Don't pray about it anymore because you've already been praying. Don't ask other people about it. They'll talk you out of it. Don't try to get consensus because you can get consensus about anything. Just go. Because you never know if your coincidence is for such a time as this. Do you understand? Oh, my goodness. We serve a great God. My goodness. <laughs> For such a time as this. Relax. Father, thank you. Thank you for the chance we have to be together with you and with each other. God, Father, I thank you for these in the past that have followed you so well, and sometimes they didn't, but you were so merciful and so gracious to them anyway. Yeah. I, I thank you for what you've given us in your word. I thank you for what you've continued to give us through your spirit. I thank you that you've called us and that you're not sorry about it. Yeah. 
that those calling gifts are irrevocable. Sorry, Father, for the times when we've made it about something different than your kingdom. Father, I pray that you would Holy Spirit, I pray that you would, in, in this moment, change our perspective, change our worldview, change our heart. For those of us who have a relationship with you, to view circumstances and coincidences, perhaps for such a time as this. And I pray that peace that passes understanding would guard our hearts and minds. I feel like in this moment, I want to do one more thing. And if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, if you've never repaired a broken relationship between you and God by faith in Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. In, in this moment between, between you and Jesus, just to say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Thank you that you love me and that you died on the cross so I could be forgiven. I accept you as the leader of my life, and I submit to your authority. I trust you. Help me to love you. Be my Savior. Father, I thank you that we're here in this moment such a time as this. We praise you because you're worthy to be praised. We praise you for everything you've done. We praise you for everything you're going to do. We praise you because your name is above all names. We praise you because you are the God and there is no other. We praise you, Jesus, because you died and you rose from the grave. And we praise you because you have created for us an eternity in a home that we look forward to one day. But I thank you and we praise you because right now you've left us here for such a time as this. Amen.